Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Lise Huddleston with WK Piermont OBGYN Specialist. We're talking about inherited cancers in the field of gynecology and we'll be taking your calls throughout the show. And as a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned way down low, maybe all the way, so you can hear us and we can hear your questions. Now the number to call is 318-219-4569 and you'll see it a little bit later and throughout the bottom of your screen during the show. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Huddleston. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And this is such an interesting topic. I think that we're gonna have a lot of people um, really interested in hearing this. And we're gonna bust some myths. We're gonna put some people at ease, hopefully, with inherited. We hear that inherited cancer, those two words together. Yeah. But now there's testing. So let's talk about genetic testing for that. Sure, so you know, this field became very popular um, in the early 90s. It's when we started doing genome sequencing. Um, you know, you heard about cloning the sheep and um, that kind of thing and so we kind of turned that into a into a positive thing um, in about 96 is when um, the specific um, hereditary cancer for breast and ovarian that I'm talking about came into play okay and then we talked about this briefly, but go ahead and remind us again, like what are the most common genetically inherited cancers? So the thing that I specifically look for um, as an OBGYN are gonna be um, breast, ovarian, uh, uterine, or endometrial cancer, specifically for my patients. Okay, and those are things, and not necessarily just your mother or your father, can this also jump a generation if you had it you know, your grandparents? Sure, so, you know, part of the family history that sometimes people get a little bit confused about is what is a first or second degree relative. So first degree relative is gonna be mother, father, um, children, and siblings. Second degree is gonna be like your aunts, uncles, grandparents, um, that kind of thing. So that kind of also changes um, a little bit about what we worry about. You know, if you have two first degree relatives versus one second degree relative, it's a little bit different um, in how that makes our ears per perk up. Okay, something to look for. Mm -hmm. So when we go in for the annual exam or even just go in for whatever other reason, if we get that form to ask for family history, definitely fill it out to the best of our knowledge. Because is that the best time to talk about this kind of testing? I really feel like that is, um, you know, one of the areas where I can kind of, patients are already there, and they may not realize how much information they're giving um, when they are. So the nurse at, at our office always goes through medical and surgical history, but also a family history. So, you know, we're not just talking about diabetes and high blood pressure, we're also asking about cancers. So, um, and not just breast, ovarian, and, and the uterine also prostate, pancreas, um, small bowel or GI tract, those kind of things also can be grouped together. So yeah, if it's very important to be as detailed as possible. And some people don't know, and that's that's okay. Um, but you know, personal history is, is also a risk factor for some of these syndromes. Okay, and that's a really good point too. Just because you're at your, your OB or your gynecologist for whatever reason you're there, it doesn't mean it's exclusive to those type of cancers. It could be pancreatic, like you said, it doesn't have to be just any kind of gynecological Correct. cancer. Yeah, because not, you know, some of these syndromes are actually looped together. Um, and so, for example, there's a syndrome called Lynch syndrome. That one is actually, um, it, it um, 
if a patient is positive for that, you know, the chances of them getting colon cancer is about 70%, which wow. is very high. Yeah. Um, and so you don't think about colon cancer and uterine cancer, but in that syndrome, those two actually are an increased risk and go together. So it's important to be as detailed as you can, um, you know, about a family member's specific kind of colon cancer, what age they were diagnosed, that's also a red flag that we look for. So in patients who were diagnosed younger, um, typically for breast cancers less than 50, or in colon cancers less than 50, um, those definitely are things that make us a little more concerned. So if your mother was diagnosed with breast cancer at 35 versus someone who was diagnosed at 70, you know, it may be nothing, or it could be that the reason she was diagnosed so young is because she has a specific genetic mutation. Oh, gosh, that's interesting. Is there is there a more common age range that women typically get diagnosed with breast cancer? Yeah, so breast cancer, you're gonna see that more, you know, 50s and 60s mm -hmm. um, and 70s. So that's why in any patient who comes to me and says, yeah, my mom, you know, had a double mastectomy at 42, that's kind of one of those things where I'm like, did she have genetic testing? You know, if not, does she have any sisters that have had breast cancer? Um, and so, you know, age is also an important component uh, to that to that family history. Very interesting because it's a good time. Also, <laughs> another myth we're going to bust right here. If you hadn't <laughs> thought about it, I know that in in my family and knowing a lot of people too who have been through this. If also a reminder to keep getting tested. Like my grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer in her 80s. Yeah. And she had already like stopped even going to the doctor very often. Sure. She thought in my 80s, I thought I was past all that and done with that. So it's a good thing to remind you, don't be worried, but as long as you're alive and you're still going, then go ahead and keep getting tested, go to the doctor, keep getting those checkups because it can happen. No one, I, I did not know that the age range was that late so in different. life. So yeah. different, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, even, we do kind of have a, de a shared decision-making once patients reach 70 or 75 about continued imaging. You know, the longer we live, the more likely that something unfortunately bad will happen. So, you know, cancer is tends to be more common in our older patients, um, but that's not to say exactly what you said. You know, continue to come and see us, continue, you know, don't ignore symptoms like breast pain or, um, you know, changes in the contour of your breast. Those kind of things are also things to to think about. Yeah, and it's also a great positive way to reframe that too, as sure. you've been well in doing that with our conversation even this morning, that it's kind of it's kind of a good badge of honor, you know, as long as people, we are living longer and mm -hmm. we're healthier in our later years. So yeah, I'm still going to the doctor even though I'm 70 years old or 75 because I want to stay continued health. That's, yeah. I'm not done. Yes. I still want to stay, I'm healthy. I'm yeah, and up, I, so. um, you know, a person who specifically comes to mind, my, my husband's grandmother is in her 90s and has a better social life than I do. So, you know, it is important. And those are some of my favorite patients who come in and they've been seeing me for several years and, um, you know, they're 70 and, and I'm like, you know, you still have parts that don't go away that we still need to check on. So it is still very important in your older age to come. That's a very nice way to look at it. Yeah. I'm really glad we're talking about that today. Yeah. So are there, um, what kinds of cancers are tested for? Yeah, so I, I kind of wanted to hammer two different, two different types of genetic mutations. So the first one is going to be, and, and probably patients, you know, there are celebrities and things like Angelina Jolie, um, you know, that have come out for BRCA1 and 2. So BRCA1 and 2. 
That one specifically for our patients, we're looking at endometrial and ovarian cancers. So, you know, we figured out over time that ultrasound is not really the best way to look at ovarian cancer. Ovarian cancer is pretty sneaky. By the time we find it, typically patients are in later stages. Um, luckily, we have a fabulous gynecologic oncologist in town who takes care of people from all over the country. Um, but we want to try to catch them before we're at that point. And so, and those patients who kind of spark my interest and their family history seems very strong. Um, you know, I do recommend genetic testing for these people. And so what that's gonna tell us is, if you have a BRCA1 or 2 mutation, the chances of getting breast cancer in your lifetime are anywhere from 45 to 70%, depending on which mutation you have as well as ovarian, which can be anywhere from, you know, 15 to 40 something percent to get ovarian cancer. So if those patients come back positive and they haven't had children yet, we kind of talk about, okay, are we on the, on the track of going, a, going ahead and, and having babies? Because ultimately the recommendation for those patients is gonna be bilateral mastectomy by 40 um, or 45 and then, um, you know, having your ovaries uh, removed. And so, you know, that's, that's a very difficult conversation to have with patients. It's one of those things where if I have a patient that tests positive for that, a lot of times, or every time I end up sending the patient, you know, after our conversation initially that this has come back positive, I'll send them to a breast surgeon um, to kind of talk about options and different things like that because there are a lot of options um, in terms of reconstruction and, and that stuff. Um, and then also a genetic counselor. So, you know, whenever you are talking about having this genetic mutation, well, obviously we're talking about hereditary things so you can pass those on to future generations. So genetic counselors are a great, um, a great resource for patients to use. And the wonderful thing that has come about from COVID is kind of that uptick of telemedicine and you know we have one genetic counselor who's also fabulous in town um, but there are several in New Orleans and all around the country so you can um, you know have telehealth and telemedicine visits with those people you can also have telemedicine you know visits with those people before you even have the genetic testing so they may go through and tell you you know these are the implications and I do have some patients that have a strong family history and have just decided I don't want to do the testing but I'm gonna be you know very diligent about getting my mammograms every six months and my breast MRIs and alternating those so that is another thing you know doing this testing isn't without implication it, it is gonna change your life and so it's not something that should be taken lightly that was really glad. I'm glad you went to that because that was one of my questions, even thinking about this last night. Yeah. If you do, there are some people who just like really love their life. They're mm -hmm. healthy. They're having a great time. They just don't want to know because they don't really want it in the back of their head. Absolutely. They know their mother had that or it happened. It's in the family, but they may just not want to know. Yeah. And do you and find I, that? Do you have patients I do. do that? I have patients like that. And, you know, if I was faced with a similar situation, I've had this conversation with <laughs> colleagues before. I don't know what I would do. Um, I do know that it's important to understand, you know, what's available, and that's why kind of before you do the testing, speaking to me or a genetic counselor or even your family members, um, you know, is so important because it is it is a tough decision. I fully support patients who decide not to do the testing. I understand that it changes your life, and I 100% get that. I'm maybe a little more like call them on the phone, and they haven't <laughs> seen me in 12 months, kind of 
thing um, to make sure that they get in and see me more often. And some people you'd be surprised after six to 12 months have maybe changed their mind. Right. Um, you know, none of this is anything that a patient should be forced into doing. It's just kind of giving them the information and letting them make a decision. And luckily it isn't like do it now, do it. You can't, you have time to go and talk it out and go and find out all Absolutely. the information. Absolutely. Yes. Right, we have an Esther on the line. Hi Esther, thank you for calling. What's your question? My question is, when you have a vasectomy, and um, after you have your vasectomy, and um, you told to go and have the other breast checked out and everything, well, my doctor told me she had to take the nipple off the other breast to make a nipple for the one that they put the implant in. I was okay with that, but now I have itching around the nipple a lot. So is that any problem? I've had it checked, but they say I have no cancer in that and everything was okay. But I keep getting this off and on itching. And sometimes it feels a little sore, but nothing is there. Should I keep being worried about that? So I think the most important thing is to um you know, make sure that you're not noticing any skin changes around the area. It sounds like you've been really good about following up. You know, you definitely could potentially may want to speak with the breast surgeon again. I'm not sure who did the surgery for you, but it's always best to go back to the physician who operated on you. Um, so I would encourage uh -huh. you, if it's still bothering you, to not let that go. Um, you know, if it's three to six months down the road and you're still experiencing something, to go ahead uh -huh. and call that doctor's office. Now you can certainly have okay. skin changes, especially if you have, you know, some tightness of that skin um, while it's healing, you can have itching. Um, so just kind of be mindful of it, but definitely, you know, bring it to someone's attention if it's not better in over three to six month period. Yes, ma'am, I will do just that because every so often it itch, really itch, itch, itch. Even with the bra, I take the bra off and it itch, itch, itch. And I rub, I alcohol it, and it, otherwise it stops, and then later on it'll start back itching. And, but the skin is not tightened. My breasts look really nice. It is not swollen or anything like that. And I just worry about it. Yeah, you definitely want to use more like ointments and cream. So alcohol will dry that skin out. So you want to use something more like a, um, an ointment or a cream that will keep it moisturized. So that's important too. Okay. Um, even like a cocoa butter, I tell patients to do like vitamin E capsules for scarring and things like that. So you could try that as well. Okay. Okay, I'll do that. I will do that. And I thank you very much, doctor. I really do thank you so yes. much. Yes, ma'am. Have a great day. Yes, ma'am. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for calling, Esther. And she brought up another good point, too. We're just really, some of us think, well, that's just what we're going to live with. That's, I had this. This is just going to happen. It's just the way it is. But keep going to your doctor. We're not supposed to be uncomfortable. If you have anything that's uncomfortable, keep going to your doctor who actually did the surgery or that you've been talking to to see if there's anything you can do. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, especially for post-op complications, I'm not sure how long ago she had mm -hmm. her surgery, um, but certainly, you know, it is important and physicians are there to help. So we wanna make our patients feel better. And if you're having some sort of concern, even if you get repeat imaging and we don't see anything, that's at least peace of mind instead of you worrying about it. So 
Yeah, complete peace of mind because mm -hmm. I doctors are everyone. It's just keep coming back. It's okay. You're not yeah. going to be like, look, I've talked to you enough about this. <laughs> That's right. And, and and you want it. Plus, the more information that a doctor gets, the more they'll be able to help you be comfortable. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, um, so what kind of family history do you actually look at? How extensive a family history and what leads to other things? Besides the obvious, what is a family history that might lead to genetic testing? So, you know, I'm thinking of a patient in mine right now. Um, so you, especially on one side, so maybe, you know, a paternal grandmother had breast at 67 and a maternal grandmother had breast at 50. Really, we're looking at both sides, like one side of the family, so maternal aunts and a maternal grandmother. You know, I have a patient um, who um, tested positive. She has five sisters and four of the five are positive. So several sisters being positive, several aunts on the same side being positive. Um, again, the male breast cancer is something that really, you know, that is not common mm -hmm. at all. So that's definitely one that when a patient tells me that, you know, I definitely um, have this conversation about the genetic testing. Definitely. And has it been like if your father had breast cancer and you're the daughter, is sure. it the same yes. as if so your mother had it? Yes, so it's not a sex chromosome thing. Mm -hmm. It has to do with like the autosomal, not to get too nerdy, but. No, um, I love yeah, it, go ahead. So father, yeah. <laughs> father could pass it to um, a daughter, yes. Okay. That's so interesting. Yeah. I love it. No, you just get as nerdy as you want. This is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this I mean, is what I love cool, about Helpline 3. The neat thing about um, all of this coming about is there have been several tools um, that have, or screening tools that have come about for this. So, you know, the, the um, Academy of uh, College of Obstetrics and Gynecology says, you know, don't screen every single patient with this tool. Every single patient that comes in doesn't necessarily need to take a quiz about, you know, their family history. Do the basic family history, um, you know, that that the nurse takes and go from there. And then, um, you know, there are several tools out there that will actually um, kind of tell you if you are a candidate um, because everybody wants to know, is my insurance going to cover this? Um, and so a lot of times patients who take this quiz, a lot of companies will work with you. And so even if you have the blood drawn, um, the specific company that we use, you know, will contact the patient and say, you're going to get a bill. Um, you know, these are the things that we can do to kind of work through it. Whether it's the physician needs to maybe do a different, some different documentation, or our company will work with you. Um, you know, so those screening tools are also helpful um, that a lot of primary care physicians have at their at their disposal. Yeah, right there. You know, if anything, I, I hear this. It, We've come so far, mm -hmm. and I think, do you find patients or someone who comes to you with, you've had the patient, the mother or something, and the daughter may just come to you, I want the genetic testing. Yeah. Is it a relief either way? Like sometimes even if they find out that they are a candidate, there's a sense of relief there because they can, now they're aware. Yes. And they can do something. Yeah, I definitely, I think there's, there's kind of two schools of thought. There's definitely the patient that's like, I want to live my life to the fullest, and I'm the kind of person that I am. If, if I know I'm positive, this will loom over me. And then I have, you know, the 20-something year old that says, I watched my grandmother and mother go through all this, and I would rather be prepared. And if it means that I get breast imaging every six months or, you know, that I talk about family planning a little sooner, you know, I'm okay with that because I, I'm going to take it on, you know, head on. 
And do you even find that within families? There may be, you know, a couple of sisters and one will be like, nope, I'm good. And the other one's, I want to know now. Yes. Test me yes. immediately. The, the patient I was talking about with the four <laughs> sisters, that there's there's a pendulum of who who is kind of like, I want to know, and, and some that drag their feet. And, and for obvious reasons. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I totally get that. And the good part about this, too, like we said a minute ago, you don't have to get tested immediately and do something about it. You have time to really... <clears throat> ground yourself and be ready for whatever whatever you find out. Yeah, this test is is a blood draw. It's mm -hmm. a vein of puncture. So it is something that, you know, and we have the kits in our office, so it's something that can be done at any point in time once mm -hmm. you're ready for that. That's really great. And what if someone says, take it, you keep the results, don't tell me right away, I'll come to you when I <laughs> you ever have that. Uh, if I have, <laughs> if I if I if I have a positive result, I I tend to do that. Um, I tend to do that face to face, but mm -hmm. I will say in the day and age of um, everything's at your fingertips, a lot of these companies will give the patients a login and an email so they know okay. um, before I have a chance to talk to them. So I always bring patients in for a face-to-face -face conversation because it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Um, it can be a lot to talk about. So. Yeah, that is definitely something that I that I do face to face. Mm -hmm. And we don't ever know what's really going through someone's mind. Sure. Even if you, you're okay and then you get the blood drawn and then it's done and then you may, there's all kinds of things that can come up, which is nice that you have counselors, genetic counselors, um, people they can talk to too. And it's just yes, nice. a lot of the a lot of the companies have adapted, you know, they have their own genetic counselors um, and, and have for some time, but now I feel like it's become even easier for patients really to utilize that tool. Um, uh, with telehealth and all of that so that's a great tool that that um, you know the company that we specifically they are really great about patient education right and the more you know yes this is better yes so tell us speaking of that now what um, what questions should someone ask the doctor so I think you know the biggest question I get is do I have to have surgery and what does this mean for um, you know imaging and things like that. So specifically for um, if we're talking about the Lynch syndrome, which is the colorectal or colon cancer with the endometrial cancer, you're going to be getting colonoscopies a lot more often. Mm -hmm. You're going to be really good friends with your um, gastroenterologist or your colorectal surgeon. Um, if you are positive for something that increases your risk for breast cancer, Typically, you're gonna start imaging 10 years before the, your youngest relative was diagnosed, um, and that will include a mammogram and a breast MRI alternating every six months. Okay. Where general, general OBGYNs come into the picture is gonna be if a patient's reached you know, 40, 35 or 40, depending on their mutation, and they're BRCA1 or 2 positive, then we'll recommend removing your ovaries and your tubes. Um, or if you know they have Lynch syndrome, we talk about hysterectomy. So that's kind of where the generalists come into it. Um, really, we just kind of start the ball rolling um, if somebody comes in with just an unsuspecting history. Okay, and it's even if, like we talked about after childbearing age and you, you have every, you have kids, you're good, even if you've decided you're never going to, uh, do you find that a lot of women are just very, their identity is still attached to having breasts or having a uterus or having hysterectomy? It's just really an emotional thing, even if they know their health is at risk, it's a very difficult thing to let go of. To it go is, through. it is, and so kind of where general OBGYNs come into the picture again is kind of what about after? Mm -hmm. What am I, what do I do now? Um, and so, 
you know, the, the, the beautiful thing about Shreveport is we do have so many specialists here, um, you know, plastic surgeons and breast surgeons here who can kind of help give you your options as far as, um, you know, full reconstruction um, and all of that versus, you know, the other side. So once we take out your ovaries, you know, patients are like, oh my gosh, I'm now I'm 40 and I'm menopausal and I'm hot all the time and I'm cranky and, you know, you're limited kind of in what you can do with that. So that's a lot of um, kind of what general, generalists deal with is kind of the after, which is why it's so important to kind of establish that relationship with your patient because if they're coming to see you every six months because they're miserable, you know, I want to do everything I can to make her comfortable. I can't change her genetics, but I can certainly make her feel better. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I want people to know that your generalist OBGYN can can definitely help with some of the aftermath of that. Okay, so let's talk about menopause then yeah. and the onset of that once <coughs> your ovaries are taken out, say at 40, since we're talking around the 40-year-old yeah. range. And so is there anything that you can look at and you know this patient or you know their history that because some people never even, if they do go through menopause, they don't even know it. They have never, they've been healthy like, I don't know, I don't have that. Those and are the lucky ones. Yes, yeah, <laughs> but then some have it very drastically and yes. call it their own summer. Yeah. So, um, so, but if you do have a 40-year-old, is there any way that you can know that this patient might have early onset menopause without their ovaries, or is there any way to tell? Yeah, so if they, so we call it surgical menopause. I mean, if they've had their ovaries removed, um, they may have a few months of circulating what we call endogenous estrogen or estrogen circulating around. Estrogen is stored in, in fat tissue. Um, and so they may have that for a few months, but once you have your ovaries removed, you've done it. It's gone. So <laughs> menopause is coming. Um, and some people do it, like you said, it's a lot more graceful. Um, and some people tend to have pretty significant um, changes, whether it's vasomotor symptoms, memory changes. Um, one big thing that we talk about is actually osteoporosis or osteopenia. So a patient, you know, your ovaries, the reason we live longer than men is our ovaries because for heart and bone health, um, ovaries are very, are cardioprotective and they protect our bones. So that's what I tell my patients. I'm like, this is why you're gonna outlast your husband is because of your ovaries. <laughs> um, but once those are removed, then we have to talk about, okay, talking to your primary care provider, making sure that they know, hey, my ovaries were removed at 42. You know, he may wanna start you on, a statin or you know monitor your blood pressure more often or your cholesterol those kind of things that put you at risk for heart disease um, and then also bone densities so those bone density studies the DEXA scans you know we start those earlier in patients who've had their ovaries removed in their 40s or gone through menopause in their 40s because what we don't want to happen is you to be 55 and already have osteoporosis because then we're doing an uphill we're doing an uphill battle. So if you fall and you you know you have a fracture of your hip or your back at 55, that's young. Mm. Um, and so that is definitely something that um, we have to be aware of too. And that's very interesting about how powerful those ovaries yes, are. Yes, they know? are. They're powerful. We're they not are. living longer just because we're tougher and smarter. <laughs> it means because we've got ovaries. No, there's a real well. scientific reason. Yeah, that's really, really is interesting. It's amazing mm -hmm. how both bodies work, male and female. But when yeah. you really look at all of that, and so let's remind people too, what is it about the ovaries? That is it the hormones that that they manufacture that when they go away? So what all? Yeah. That, so you know the biggest thing again without getting too nerdy the biggest thing <laughs> is going to be the type of estrogen the type of androgens that they secrete and so those um, tend to 
like I said, be be protective for heart and then bone as well. Um, and so once those are gone, you kind of lose that you lose that protection, and then we're left with yeah. you know just the prevention and and your calcium and vitamin D and 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 making sure that your primary care provider is aware um, that you don't have those anymore. Okay, that's fascinating. Yeah. So what is something else? We're going to have to close, which I hate to. I could talk to you all day about this. It's been really great. So what's one thing you'd like to leave us with about this genetic testing and gynecology? Yeah, I think the most important thing is um, I want patients to understand that an OBGYN is, is our field is fascinating and we don't just deliver babies um, we're here with patients through you know the end of end of life menopause all of that um, and you know things have changed and I think that our field is is just a wonderful um, opportunity for women to kind of express exactly what's going on and really take charge of their health their health care um, and being healthy for you know all their future grandkids <laughs> Love that, yeah. and to really communicate with you and realize that. Um, yeah, we're a friend. We're we're an ear, and 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 we have a lot to offer patients. And then even though we're talking about gynecological cancers or problems or issues, we can ask you about anything. Absolutely. And you can refer us if that's not, if you've done everything you can, you want to refer us to someone else, but we can ask you about all kinds of things that's going Absolutely. on. Absolutely, mental health, um, mm. anxiety, depression, those things um, is really something that um, we like to focus on as well, not just postpartum, but kind of, you know, again, menopausal changes can cause a lot of a lot of things to change and so um, we talk a lot about that too and sometimes if you just don't know there's just yeah. something off and wrong you don't know yeah and we go to you and ask and you can just put us at ease and let us know what to do about that yes definitely right. would you like to give your phone number or website or anything how people can reach you sure so our phone number is 318-212-3890 and our website I think I remember <laughs> it is paramountobgyn.com um, and so, and we're also on social media, so you can follow us um, there as well. Okay, and thank you so much for empowering me, knowing that those ovaries, you know, we can always just, yeah. you know, this, so that ladies, you can just tell your husband, listen, I got ovaries, <laughs> I'm gonna outlive you, so. That's right. Behave yourself. That's so, right. Well, That's Dr. Right. Huddleston, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for enlightening us and busting some myths and putting us at ease, I think. This has been really informative and we really appreciate you being here. Yeah, Terry, it's been, it's been fun. So, so I fun. hope to come back some. We soon. would love to have you come back, yeah. we really would. We can talk about any topic and reminding us about OBGYN and everything you have to offer. So thank you again. Yes, ma'am. Everybody come and see us. All right. Everyone come see us. And thank <laughs> you so much for joining us on Healthline 3. Have a great afternoon, and we'll see you next time on Healthline 3.